Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's message was given by First Pres Interim Senior Pastor, Reverend Dr. Tassie Green. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture readings today are from the Apostle Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, and from the Revelation to John, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which you will find in the New Testament section of your pew Bibles on pages 204 and 241. Please join me for a prayer of illumination. Prepare our heart, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how, from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Revelation 10, verse 9. I went to the angel and told him to give me a little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. So the Bible is a feast. This month we're looking at what the Bible is. Last week we looked at how the Bible is a light. Today the Bible is a feast. And I was thinking about this metaphor between feasting and the Bible, and I was wondering, if you think about it, when you go to a family gathering, or perhaps if you don't live near your family, perhaps it's a church potluck, What's that one thing that shows up on the menu always that you don't like? There's bound to be something. I married into a Danish family, and I was all excited about these Danish cookies called spritz, but they have such strong mace in them, the way my family, uh, adopted family made them, I just couldn't believe. What did you do to these cookies? They showed up all the time. Sometimes there's things that we dislike when we gather together. Of course, the yuck is made up for by the yum. There's things that also we only eat at gatherings or at feasts that we look forward to. I know there were things I had never tasted before besides mace. I moved to Seattle and I got to introduce to all kinds of seafood that I wouldn't have eaten here as a flatlander, as someone who didn't live near the ocean. Grilled salmon, all kinds of things. So we're thankful when we think about feasting that there is yum along with yuck. Now, what foods do you love and look forward to having at those gatherings? 
As I think about the Bible and as I think about all the different passages, and as Callista showed us, there's some things that at first taste seem like bugs to us, and other things that seem like delicious cakes made with good flour. What are some of your favorite Bible verses? I hope something pops into your mind. Hopefully, you'll have a chance to share later with someone. I know we're kind of scattered in the sanctuary, but if you're at home, you can share with someone near to you too or in the chat. This week on a pastoral visit, Mary Sward told me that, um, that one of her favorite Bible verses was Psalm 23. She said, There's practically everything in it that you could need for life. She said she just reads it over and over. That's a great example of feasting on the Bible. Or yesterday we had to reschedule Eleanor Erisman's memorial, unfortunately, but one of the passages that we'll hear when we do that, when we gather after Easter, I hear, is you'll hear Isaiah 40, a favorite. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When our souls are tired and worn, scriptures encourage us. They have power to change our lives, to meet us in that moment. I especially love Romans, the book of Romans in the message translation. When I read it, it feels like the Holy Spirit sets off fireworks of words to me. Here's an example from Romans 1:15. This wonderful good news of God, news I'm most proud to proclaim, this extraordinary message of God's powerful plan to rescue everyone who trusts in him, starting with the Jews and then right on to everyone else. Fireworks of words to me. The Bible is God's good news that is meant to be read or listened to aloud. Now, I was thinking about this. In sixth grade, I was proud to win a contest at my church, Bible drills. Do any of you remember what those are? To hold your Bibles up, someone called out a passage, and you had to quick turn to that page and then stand up and read it. So I won a contest, which was a brand new Bible. And I was so proud of that Bible, it came in a shiny gold box that I put it under my bed with my treasured possessions. And I found it there about 10 years later, hardly opened, too treasured. That's not how the Bible is meant. And I tried to give it to my nieces and nephews who looked at the old-fashioned pictures in it and said, that's weird. So the Bible is not meant to be stored under our beds like a treasured possession. It is meant to be read. I suggest that we have a plan of Bible reading, like a daily devotional or the lectionary. I receive the lectionary on my phone every day to remind me to read it. It forces us also into corners of the Bible that we might not otherwise read. It's a three-year pattern of all the major parts of God's Word. We can find tasty discoveries of verses that we love in Psalms or Proverbs that just help us on that particular day. It also forces us into some passages that we might not read otherwise. I think of Amos, and when I read Amos, uh, no one wants to be called out as a cow, although we might need it. 
In Amos 4.1, it says, Hear this, you cows of Bashan, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to their husbands, Bring me something to drink. That's quite a passage. But today we dip our toes into a more interesting passage in the book of Revelation. How many of you have read it lately or looked at it? It's one of our, frankly, more bizarre sections of scripture. And at my different churches, I have taken sort of a survey of the youth. And some of them say, I have no idea what that means. I opened the first page and then turned somewhere else. I frankly think it's amazing and that maybe more of us would read it out of just sheer curiosity. It contains some amazing stuff. And the church fathers gathered together at a council in 363 and decided everything we have in our current Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, contains the word of God for us today. How might we describe the Bible? That passage that you heard Emily read from 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Did you notice that, the goal of it? is not just that we take it in, but the, we are equipped for every good work, what Ephesians says God has prepared in advance for us to do. I believe in using Scripture's own words to describe itself. So Scripture says that it's inspired, or literally, God-breathed, from that Greek word pneuma, which means wind or spirit, that God breathed out the words. And our Book of Order from the Peace USA says that the Bible is a unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ. So we can look to it to understand the revelation of who Jesus is. But it baffles us. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit inspired the content and meaning somehow into the writers' and authors' minds. We don't know exactly what they look like, but I bet if you think about it, have you ever had a person's face or name pop into your head at a moment and you thought, oh, I should pray for them or call them? And it turned out that it was the perfect moment, although you didn't know till later. I think that happens to us regularly. That's the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit worked that way within the writers, sometimes prompting them to retell stories that had been handed down from generation to generation. The tradition is that Moses wrote, the first, wrote down the first five books of the Bible. Sometimes the Holy Spirit helped pass on by visions or dreams to the prophets. Ideas and words that were written down by humans. The apostles wrote letters which were passed from church to church, including this letter we wrote, read from today to 2 Timothy to a young man. But these holy words then, how did we get them? They were passed on again and again by human hands, the scribes and then the monks and the illuminators, eventually the Gutenberg Bible, so people who printed and aligned the type. If we skip ahead 300 years, now we have all these different translations. 
that people worked, worked over to try to get the word of God right, or paraphrases to try to help the meaning come alive for us today. Near and dear to Presbyterians is the new Revised Standard Version that's in your pews, the NRSV. There was a whole committee that spent much time trying to figure out how best to communicate God's word to us in a way that was faithful to scripture and also held meaning for us. Now, at Princeton, I had a guest lecture from the chair of that committee, Dr. Bruce Metzger. He is way smarter than me and a deep man of faith who took this calling seriously. I'm sure, as anything you do by a committee, particularly committees of scholars, it didn't happen quickly, and not everyone agreed with each other on the way each word came out. I don't necessarily, Dr. Metzger did, I'm not even sure that God agrees with each and every translation of 500 translations around the world. But the thing is, Presbyterians agree that it is healthy to dig into scripture with sound scholarship, to ask questions, to try to understand the meaning, to share with one another, what does this mean to you? What's your experience? How does God speak through it to you today? Because God can handle our questions. King David models that in the Psalms. He's full of questions and even complaints, and God can handle it. That's part of our scripture now, part of the feast. So the Bible contains this grand story of God's love, covering not much of the known world at the time, with a variety of authors. So if we compare it to an international feast with many chefs, imagine with me. There's a feast at a fictional restaurant called Biblion. Each of the dishes are creative and new, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but influenced by the countries where the authors came from, where the big biblical writers, I mean chefs, came from, where they traveled from, the culture they lived in. The recipes for each dish were written down and prepared by human hands, of course. As I was imagining this, I wondered if one chef who really loved tomato added more of that into his recipe than others and served malaka, Iranian tomato stew, at every gathering. That might be maybe compared to James, who had certain admonitions for us. Or perhaps another person hated broccoli and he never, ever, ever allowed anyone to cook with it. Of course, there is a rumor that broccoli is evil, right? Some biblical chefs loved fish and bread and wine. God loves those too. Jesus shared them with us. I love this slide of the uh, feeding of the 5,000, this art by John Swanson that brings it to life, what that might have looked about. There's traditions about where the apostles ended up. Matthew, as a chef, a writer, ended up in Ethiopia. Did that influence how he cooked up his gospel? And we know for certain that each of the gospel writers have a different take on what happened, including at the Last Supper. Here's a different take on that art. This is sand art that I want to show you of the Last Supper. Look at that. That's from uh, the beach in Ocean City, Maryland. 
Amazing, isn't it? So the Bible chefs, just like artists, each cook or write, I mean, according to the custom and response to very real circumstances happening in their places, real conflict, or in many cases, persecutions that were happening. When people were hard-pressed, they wrote to encourage them and to help them move forward. And I guess the hardest part now is for us eaters or readers to know what is meant to be particular to that place and time or what is universal and to understand how God wants us to apply it in our own lives. That's, of course, where prayer, where the Holy Spirit comes in, prompting us, bringing verses to life. But it's hard for the Spirit to bring verses into our mind at the right time if we don't know any of them. And so I encourage you to think about, in this year, reading your Bibles, perhaps memorizing verses. If anybody wants some memory verse cards, I have some copies of uh, the different packs from Navigators from years of old. You can just take the packs of cards with you and memorize them at certain times. The grand story of the Bible is a feast. And it's a feast that includes every possible ingredient. If you think about it, if you flip through, there's stories that are salty, spicy, comforting, bitter, tart, sweet, healthy, stick to your ribs, hearty, inviting, and dare I even say vomit-inducing. What? How could I say that about the Bible in church, no less, on a Sunday? Well, think about the ingredients. There's origin stories of the world, family legacies, travel and history, hero and heroine quests, violence, there's incest, slavery, revenge, seances, tricksters, evil villains and abusers, romance and rescue stories, poetry, lament, tearjerkers, and incredible visions of the future. Whew. All that put together in one book. Eugene Peterson, who, who put together the message translation, writes this, the form that each biblical story or passage comes to us is as important as its content. If we mistake its form, we will most certainly respond wrongly to its content. If we mistake a recipe for vegetable stew for a set of clues for finding buried treasure, no matter how carefully we read it, we will end up poor as ever and hungry besides. So how do we look at the Bible as a feast? We're meant to chew on, on God, the Bible's words, on God's word, to spend time in them as if we were eating a feast. Peterson adds, Bible reading is an immense gift, but only if the words are assimilated, taken into the soul, eaten, chewed, gnawed, received with unhurried delight. Why would we describe the Bible as words to be eaten? Well, even this morning, we've heard the words and examples from Jeremiah, and we've heard it from Revelation. It's also, this metaphor is in Ezekiel and Psalm 119. Peterson calls spiritual reading of the Bible eating the book. He says, words that are spoken or written to us under the metaphor of eating are words that we freely take in. We chew, we savor, we swallow, we digest them. And then they have a very different effect on us that the words that come at us in a deluge from the outside. 
So today, this passage from Revelation 10, 9 and 10, it's a story how Revelation came to be while John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. St. John walks up to the angel, says, give me the book. The angel says, here it is, but I want you to eat it. Eat this book. And John does. He eats the book. He doesn't just read it. He got it into his body, his nerve endings, his reflexes, his imagination. The book he ate was Holy Scripture. He assimilated it in his time in worship and in his prayers, his imaginings, his writings. The book he ate was metabolized into everything he did and wrote. And from that experience, John wrote the concluding book of the Bible. Because the Bible is a full meal, a feast. It involves and requires all of us to read with our entire life. Participatory reading is receiving the Word of God in such a way that it becomes interior to our lives. As the angel said to me in, John, in Revelation, take it and eat it. It will be bitter to your stomach, but sweet as honey in your mouth. Hmm. That is being truthful about the effect of the Bible. You think about it, what passages might seem bitter to your stomach? What's your experience of that? I know there's some stories and passages that unsettle and convict us. They strike our heart and our consciences. The prophet Nathan told a story to King David about someone who had done wrong, and King David was incensed and said, let's punish him. And the prophet Nathan says, you are the man. It strikes him to the heart. As we read it, it strikes us to the heart. Or Paul in Romans 7 says what is our own experience. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I think most of us, as we read that, can understand, can appreciate. It puts words to our felt experience. And Paul asks, who can rescue me from this body of death? And he points us to Jesus, as scripture does. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Some passages sit like a lump in the pit of our stomach. The words of Jesus in Matthew 7, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? We could chew on that one for a while. And it might be bitter to our stomach until the Lord refreshes us and brings us hope for a new way. Of course, there's passages that don't fit our modern sensibilities, like King David killing Bathsheba's husband, or their son who had polygamy, who had concubines. But these stories are how Bathsheba ends up in Jesus' genealogy, how the line of Jesus carries on. If you look in Matthew 1, Bathsheba, she's noted as Uriah's wife, she was Jesus Christ's 28 times great-grandmother. So the Bible also shows us how God can use and redeem the yuck, the harm done. It doesn't mean that he brings it to us on purpose. 
but he can use it for his redemptive purposes. We'll look at that more closely in two weeks. Of course, there's some passages that are tough to swallow because they have been used to defend slavery, sexism, homophobia, anti-Semitism. But then there's also passages that are amazing fireworks of words. Which are your favorite Bible verses or passages that are sweet as honey in your mouth? Think about it. If you're at home, talk about it with your family or your friends this week. I know we're kind of scattered around the sanctuary, but I'm actually going to give us three or four minutes to talk with one another about what are some of your favorite Bible verses or passages. So feel free to get up to move closer to someone else so you can carry on a conversation. Be sure to introduce yourself, and at home you have time too. I call this turning and buzzing because the noise we make. Which are your favorite Bible verses that are sweet as honey to your mouth? Let's talk. It's great conversations going on. And I hope that it inspired you to perhaps look up a new verse. That's the amazing advantage of search engines or or websites like BibleGateway or Crossway.com. If you don't know where a verse is, which happens to me regularly, you can type in a few words and it will help you find it. It's great sharing with one another about our discoveries, our treasures that we find in the Bible or the areas that we struggle with. The Bible is an amazing way to connect to Jesus and to others in faith. This particular art I want to show you is out of the country of Cameroon in Africa. In Cameroon, they enacted the biblical stories. This is uh, the great, the poor are invited to the feast from the great banquet. They enacted the stories and then they took photos of them and turned them into art. It's called Jesus Mafa. So the Bible is a feast to be enjoyed with one another, to be eaten communally, enjoyed with others, not just with our good friends, but to invite everyone in. God's word is accessible to all. So I'm wondering, how can you begin or re-begin reading the Bible, not only alone and with others? I encourage you, small groups are a good option. We have some that are going on that you have been a part of for many years. We'll have some options during Lent to re-begin and to try it out for a short time. As Peterson invites us, we are part of a holy community that for 3,000 plus years has been formed inside and out by these words of God, words that have been heard, tasted, chewed, seen, and walked together. We build habits together that involve getting this word of God formatively inside us. We determine not to leave any of these words in a book on a shelf, like some can of baked beans left stored in a cupboard. We want to work up a good appetite, join St. John, and eat this book. The Bible is a feast. Amen.